When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. If you take the Bible seriously, and you should, you'll know that from Genesis all the way to Revelation, evil men have desired to acquire power and wealth and build themselves up into an empire that rules the world, often joining with others to accomplish their goals. From the Tower of Babel to the Beast in Revelation, and for 2,000 years so far, we must fight against tyranny and push back against globalism on all fronts, be it within our own country or from outside supranational forces and in all spheres, education, economics, healthcare, legislative, and so on. So today, we want to highlight what the globalism takeover looks like around the world and right here in Canada. And we interview two men who are fighting against it in very different and very important ways. Be encouraged, friends. The beast may roar and the dragon may pull many of the levers of power, but we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony if we love not our lives, but Christ, even unto death. That's Revelation 12, 11. It's June 22nd. We're almost done. Pride comes before the fall month. I'm Andrew DiBartolo. That's Matt Halleck. And this is the Liberty Dispatch. Hey, hey, and welcome back to the Liberty Dispatch, broadcasting across enemy lines into the Canadian culture war. We're so thankful that you have joined us yet again on the program. And we want to remind you that our shows are produced in partnership, Liberty Coalition Canada in Christian Week, LCC exists to establish Christ's justice and righteousness and to defend those who stand. Christian Week exists to provide a practical, hope-filled perspective on national and global issues. You can get all our content at the Fight, Laugh, Feast network. That's flfnetwork.com. They also have a handy little app that you can get at the Google Play or the Apple App Store, whatever device you tend to have. We would suggest you do that. All things Liberty Coalition Canada are at libertycoalitioncanada.com. Please go over there and sign up for our email list. And while you're over there, please consider leaving a donation. Help support our news and analysis arm by click going to libertycoalitioncanada.com slash donate, scanning that helpful QR code at the bottom of the screen. And while you're over there, just make sure you're clicking on the analysis and show box so you can actually help us um, continue to do news and analysis from a biblical worldview. Uh, that way we can continue to push back against the na- mainstream narrative arc fitting and, you know, up 
subvert their their crazy narratives. That's uh, something that we have to do in order to kind of subvert this globalist machine that is trying to work its way throughout the entire world and trying to subvert Canadian sovereignty. So we would ask that you would help us do that. Um, and we really do value your support greatly. Also, if you're sending email transfers or checks or cash please make those out to christian week so we can steward your money well also if you want to partner with us so we can help you grow your business please consider um, joining our advertising team. We have a great team of advertisers and we're, we're so proud to have such great sponsors and you can reach out to us at advertising at christianweek.org to partner with us. Andrew, another day means another mailbag question. So what do you have for us today? So in light of the interview that we uh, did with Kelly Hale, the question that I have is other than the very, very big wins or the big successes or the big things to celebrate that we've seen in Canada, whether it's the dropping of charges against our friend Aaron Rock or against Tim Stevens. Mm -hmm. What have been some other wins, maybe lesser known wins in the courts or in the culture that have to do with the pushing back against the COVID tiering that we've seen in the last number of years? And maybe you're aware of something locally, a local restaurant, a local business owner, something, mm -hmm. you know, someone who, you know, fought for their jab mandates or to fight against their arrive can ticket or whatever we would love to hear stories of some of these maybe lesser known smaller wins where people have said no thank you i will not be owned by globalism and tyranny i will fight for my rights and they mm -hmm. were successful send those to us mailbag at libertycoalitioncanada.com and as always feel free to send any questions you have about life theology politics culture LGBTQ mania. We have a quite an episode lined up for next week. Quite quite a bit going on in that uh, in that world, and it's not just because it's June, but because mm -hmm. our federal government is fully in bed with the Rainbow Mafia. So mailbag at LibertyCoalitionCanada.com. Friends, have you ever wished that you could listen to more than just myself, Matt, Mike, and Tim talk about important hot button issues? Well, now you can. Simply search Carpe Fide in your favorite podcast app. You'll be treated to captivating cultural critiques captured in clarifying Christian conversations. Jesse and Justin Gruber obviously love alliterations and are pastor brothers hailing from South Jersey. They started recording in 2020 as a resource for their local church and have since expanded to covering a multitude of crazy headlines, both from the U.S. and Canada. They've interviewed the likes of James and Aaron Coates, Tim Stevens, Aaron Rock, Virgil Walker, and yes, even me. They love God, hate tyranny, and have fun while doing so. You can also support frontline Christian causes by heading to carpefide.com slash shop in the U.S. and Canada to support the church waging war against the principalities and powers of darkness. And if you're an American listener or a Canadian listener who has the ability to travel over the border by way of P.O. Box or friends or family there, then when you use that slash LCC10 or the LCC10 coupon code, you will get 10% off purchases from the American store only. Carpefide.com slash shop. Boy, oh boy, have I been looking forward to today's episode. We've been planning it. <laughs> For a number yeah. of weeks, we wanted to deal with it last week, but pressing stories 
with mm-hmm. the education over indoctrination protests that happened mm-hmm. and the CBC decided to finally uh, release their hit piece. On yeah, this. and here, here we are. So, but I've been really looking forward to this episode, to covering some of the stories and the interviews that we have. And the reason is what we see is that supranational organizations are significant forces for globalism. Mm-hmm. Huge. And the aim for them is total control over economies, the centralization of power, and really the destabilization of sovereign nation states as they are, so everyone can be engulfed into this global economy, global world. I hesitate to use the, the term new world order mm-hmm. because when you use that, people automatically think people will think, oh yeah, beast antichrist, microchip, mm-hmm. mark of the beast, six 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 on my forehead, barcodes on my hands. But, I mean, when I think New World Order, personally, all I can think about is the NWO. Um, <laughs> Wrestling. Yeah. Disruptive. Disruptive. <laughs> but anyways, but, but this is what they're about. It's a term they're they use it. about themselves, though. People right. have to do realize that in, yeah. in, in, in these circles, nevertheless. Yeah. They're, significantly e- e- they're significantly more evil than Hall, Nash, and Hogan. This is a fact. Okay? <laughs> and they're more deceptive. So in our episode, and why I've been so excited, is we have stories highlighting what I want to call all three persons of the unholy globalist trinity, the WEF, the WHO, and the UN. So let's start with the first person in the unholy globalist trinity, and this is the WEF. Recently, they published a briefing titled The Urban Mobility Scorecard Tool, Benchmarking the Transition to Sustainable Urban Mobility. Now that, again, that sounds like a lot of words that don't really shock or alarm the uninformed person. But when you see what's going on and you understand how it's all being put together, it is rather alarming. So this is right from LifeSite News. The document that I mentioned advocates for increased shared electric electric connected and automated SEAM transport modes and to shift to more compact cities in order to reduce the number of cars by 2050 to 500 million worldwide and drastically reduce carbon emissions. Quote, no one city or one company can achieve this vision alone, the paper reads. Continuing, through strong public-private collaboration, which Matt is always so key to call out and, and, and mention as being a great evil in this and a purposeful point of this, we can find innovative, impactful, and context-sensitive solutions for mobility to enable a sustainable future for cities. Whenever you hear sustainable, just remember green globalist tyranny, right? Sustainable is code language for we want to crush economies and control your lives. So according to Cars Metric, there are currently over 1.45 billion cars in the world, and the WEF projects that number to go up to 2.1 billion by 2050 if we remain on the current trajectory. Now, here's the point. A reduction to 500 million cars would therefore present a reduction of the number of cars by over 75% worldwide. Now, here's a conclusion from the briefing, again, from the WEF itself. By 2050, almost 70% of the world's population will live in urban areas, swelling the size of towns and cities by 2.5 billion people. 
Over the same period, demand for urban travel is predicted to double. On the current trajectory, that would add 4.6 billion tons of carbon dioxide to the atmosphere every year by mid-century. Such a scenario is at odds with both the Paris Agreement on Climate Change and a vision of cities as healthy, sustainable, and successful places to live. There's another way. Electrifying vehicles is vital, but not enough. So it's not enough to determine what cars you get to drive. No, only by sinking electrification with the shift to shared mobility can cities achieve necessary restrictions, sorry, reductions. I had a Freudian slip, but that's really what they're about. Anyways, achieve necessary reductions in emissions while tackling wider issues of congestion, health, and more. That means expanding public and shared transport systems, embracing innovations in connected and autonomous technology, and delivering more compact cities fit for walking and cycling. So compact cities, or if you read there, the shared mobility, basically no one has a car and everyone is being shipped around like little automatons in electric buses and transport around the city that are probably self-driving. So that's the WEF's idea for mm -hmm. how to make the world better by taking our cars away from us and cramming us into electric buses. Yeah. Of all the world's problems... <laughs> That's what they, that's what they see as the problem because obviously they believe that climate change is an existential threat, but that's obviously just the use uh, they use that crisis as the predicate to force us into these highly managed cities, and that's the thing that keeps kind of underlying all these policies. Andrew is we we see a, a, a continued emphasis on compact cities people mm -hmm. living in urban area areas and the necessity for people to live closer together and travel together this is obviously more than just saving money and the environment this is a deliberate attempt to create populations that are easier to control while we're on the topic of the WEF, again, our, our least favorite organization here, I, I think appropriately, as you've mentioned, the, <laughs> the, the first person of the ungodly trinity here, uh, one of the persons in this holy trinity, uh, you would expect that similar to the triune god, this trinity would also have their own divine work that must be given to men to obey. So... Sure enough, that is exactly what we are seeing. Uh, both Klaus Schwab and Yuval Noah Harari, the chairman and senior advisor of the WEF, they are absolutely wanting people to obey them and listen to what they have. So while giving talk a talk on future the future of humanity, Harari said that the Bible could be written, rewritten by AI in order to create globalized a globalized new Bible for maybe a new global religion, civic religion. This is what he said. Quote, it's the first technology ever that can create new ideas. You know, the printing press, radio, television, they broadcast. They spread the ideas created by the human brain, by the human mind. 
they cannot create a new idea. You know, Johannes Gutenberg printed the Bible in the middle of the 15th century. The printing press printed as many copies of the Bible as Gutenberg instructed it, but it did not create a single new page. It had no ideas of its own about the Bible. Is it good? Is it bad? How to interpret this? How to interpret that? Harari then revealed that he and his allies at the WEF have a solution to the supposed problems that he just highlighted. Quote, AI can create new ideas. It can even write a new Bible, Harari declared. Throughout history, religions dreamt about having a book written by a superhuman intelligence, by a non-human entity, he added. In a few years, there might be religions that are actually correct. Just think about a religion whose holy book is written by an AI. That could be reality in a few years. So there you have it. The WEF overlords want a new civic Bible written by AI, which someone controls and someone has oversight over as we've seen from just some of the videos that people have put out about how even something as sophisticated as chat gpt by open ai is very much controlled by the the people who are are creating the platform and they control what answers are appropriate what answers aren't well in harari's idea andrew this is beautiful because now we can have a superhuman intelligence controlled by nameless faceless people directing people to um, obviously obey something that has in Harari's analogy divine authority yeah and so I, I hope that I hope our audience realizes that we're not being hyperbolic when we refer to this as the unholy globalist trinity mm-hmm. because what do we see here so it, we see that they want to control movement and who is the only person that has the authority to demand of humans where they go and what they do it's God God calls Abram to go. God calls Jacob to go. God displaces Joseph Mm -hmm. so that his brothers will be safe. He establishes boundaries of nations. He he directs Mary and Joseph into the desert so that they'll Mm -hmm. be free from Herod trying to destroy the babies. He is the one the scriptures say that he calls a man from a land afar. He brings nations to conquer other nations. God is the one who determines where people go, and he's the only one that has the authority to command mm-hmm. whole nations. You must go here and you must do this, but the WEF says we can do that. And as you've just pointed out, what is another thing that God does? God has a divine word that he has spoken, mm-hmm. that has been communicated to us, and is inscripturated, and now you have this first person in the unholy trinity saying, mm-hmm. well, There's a new word that we have that we can function, that can be better, that can be perfect. A Mm. real inerrant word, a real infallible word. Yes. So that's the first person. That carries carries authority, right? That carries sovereign, divine authority. That can affect the way people live and determine morality for them. This is this is this is this is satanic stuff, people. mm -hmm. Like this. We're not we're not just exaggerating when we but we but Harari Harari when he's talking about this stuff he, he it's almost with orgiastic orgiastic enthusiasm right he mm-hmm. this is his goal this is his desire for the future mm-hmm. this is his utopia 
yep. and it's concerning stuff. So let's let's look at the second person of the unholy globalist trinity, and that's the WHO, who, by the way, has no problem using COVID as a pretext for worldwide surveillance and control. The WHO has proposed amendments to its international health regulations, the IHR. For example, quote, the Secretariat has also been exploring options for the digitalization of the International Certificate for Vaccination or Prophylaxis, particularly in the context of the measures implemented in relation to COVID-19 pandemic, and will continue to explore options for interoperability platforms for the verification of validity on such digital certificates. My goodness. As referred to in documents A76-37, WHO is working with partners to establish a global digital health certification network, which is intended to enable member states to verify the authenticity of vaccination certificates issued under international health regulations, as well as other health documents. In fact, Recently, the WHO and the European Union made their own little totalitarian alliance. This is from the European Conservative, quote, representatives of the World Health Organization and the European Commission signed an administrative agreement and letter of intent at the WHO headquarters in Geneva on Monday, June 5th, for the upgrading of the EU system of digital COVID-19 certification to be used globally in future health crises. According to EU Health Commissioner Stella Kyriakidis, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that last name, but I'm not too concerned about it. We'll say Stella K. Okay, according to EU Health Commissioner Stella K, who was delighted that the WHO, quote, will take up the framework, close quote, of the EU's existing vaccine passport system, the aim of the global system is not to restrict liberties, oh my goodness, but to facilitate mobility and protect citizens from future health threats. That's like, that is that is the definition of of doublespeak. That, 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 it's not to restrict liberties. No, no, no. It's to keep you safe and protected. My, oh my. Continuing, quote, with this landmark partnership with the WHO, we are scaling up EU innovation in digital health to deliver safe mobility for all citizens across the globe, the EU health chief said, adding that, quote, there is no better partner than the WHO to advance the work we started in the EU and further develop global digital health solutions, close quote. According to the WHO's press release, the global vaccine passport will only be the first building block of the WHO's global digital health certification network, which is set to develop a wide range of digital products to track and deal with contagious outbreaks. <laughs> that is, that is, that is 1984 mm -hmm. jumping off of the pages for and all to see. Just, and out so the open. Well, just so everybody knows the only way they can track um and deal with contagious outbreaks so-called is to track and deal with human beings who right. are the transmitters of those right the, those those dangerous outbreaks right so 
you have to read between the lines. This is obviously coded benign corporate language, but that is what's being talked about. This is going to be a passport for global citizenry. And if you want to take part in that new world order, you will have to be up on your WHO certificates, as we're seeing. Anyways, we finally come to the third person of the unholy globalist trinity, and that is the UN, that uh, haunt of vile and villainy and scum, with their in- information integrity on digital platforms document. This is from the intro of that briefing. So, quote, the challenges that we are facing can be addressed only through stronger international cooperation. The summit of the future to be held in 2024. So look at these human beings, the hubris, eh? They're they're determining the future for humanity in these. They might as well just call it the tower, the the summit of the the Tower of Babel. Yeah, call it what it is. Which obviously, just like they take 1984 as a manual, apparently they're taking uh, Babel as a manual. They, um, they, they, they need, they need to, they need instead of taking the Tower of Babel and Pharaoh and mm-hmm. Babylon and Assyria and the Beast of Revelation, instead of taking those parts of the scriptures and putting them into play, they would mm-hmm. do better to take some of the other parts of the scriptures and actually run those scripts. But when Satan's at the helm. That's what you get. Yeah, he he's not up to any new things. Uh, just different different masks and everywhere and and, and everything. Um, so, anyways, continuing on in the article, the summit of the future to be held in 2024 is an opportunity to agree on multilateral solutions for a better tomorrow, strengthening global governance. Okay, we don't. There's no such thing as global citizens. There's no such thing as a global government, but. Apparently, they can strengthen it. So, obviously, this is happening, whether we know it or not, whether we've democratically um, signed on to it uh, in a covenant or not. Anyways, this is for both the present and future generations. The present policy brief is focused on how threats to information integrity are having an impact on the progress of the global, national, and local issues. Digital platforms are crucial tools that have transformed social, cultural, and political interactions everywhere. Yet, the same platforms have also exposed a darker side of the digital ecosystem. They have enabled the rapid spread of, I mean, this should be in square quotes, lies and hate, causing real harm on a global scale. Optimism over the potential of social media to connect and engage people have been dampened as mis- and disinformation, so-called, and hate speech can threaten progress towards the circle of death, Andrew, the United Nations SDGs, that's the Sustainable Development Goals. It has become clear that businesses or that business as usual is not an option, mm-hmm. Andrew. We cannot allow the internet to continue on uncensored and uncontrolled no more, no by more supranational speech. organizations. This Besides, cannot free happen. Speech, <laughs> free speech is a product of Western colonialism and Eurocentric white supremacy anyway, so they want to get rid of it for that reason. 
Absolutely. Um, So here is a sample of the Orwellian document, and we want to just show this picture here. Um, So the document's conclusion is, is this. Strengthening information integrity on digital platforms is an urgent priority for the international community. From health and gender equality, so there you go, the all the LGBTQ stuff is in there, to peace, justice, no, no doubt CRT, education and climate action, measures that limit the impact of mis- and disinformation and hate speech will boost efforts to achieve a sustainable future and leave no one behind. Even with action at the national level, these problems can only mm-hmm. be fully addressed through stronger global cooperation. So That's here we have... The Venn diagram. Oh, like that last sentence is not only like not only is it a lie, but but the the audacity to say your individual nation state can't deal with the problems. Mm -hmm. You can't deal with the problems in your own country. Absolutely. You need us from the outside Mm -hmm. to help you deal with your problems so it's it's unbelievable so the the picture that's on the screen right now obviously it's a venn diagram it has miss dis and uh disinformation and hate speech and strangely something that kind of looks like what's been used as a theological trinity uh, in the past um and it says pollutes the information ecosystem and threatens human progress so that's what they're concerned about andrew that's why this requires urgent yeah intervention. and how much to do with a threat imagine if it a yes. legitimate threat to the so when they say progress what they're trying to mm. get is like so what if something is a legitimate threat to human health and flourishing what must you do to the threat Eradicated. you must stamp it out yes yeah. it must it must be put down that's mm-hmm. how you deal with the threat or in in the words of antifa it's okay to punch and kill a Nazi. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, Andrew, I'm going to link in the description below for everybody the episode we did on the sustainable development goals because what they're now calling for is anything that's out of step with the sustainable development goals and that would contradict any of the things that are being forwarded by the United Nation that would fall into that that Rubicon that that uh, Venn diagram that we just saw of miss uh, dis and hate uh, disinformation and hate speech and now they're calling for the in, a global infrastructure to ensure that things that are going against their their SDG goals will be eradicated from society mm-hmm. globally. So we're going to link that SDGs episode. So then you can see what actually is undergirding the push towards the, these SDGs, because it's a haunt of jackals. It's all the leftist, woke, crazy, enviro, communo, fascistic nonsense is embedded in the SDGs. And that's apparently according to the UN, the predicate to playing along with those SDGs is the, is is what needs to be done in order to have a voice in this new utopian society that they're trying to create. And you might you might be asking yourselves, but it only this only works if individual nations buy in. Right. And they're all buying in. Yes. So this is <laughs> because the because they're yeah. captured. They're captured. Yeah, Anyways. They're captured. Absolutely. If you feel that big government and banks are too involved in your finances, Bitcoin is the solution for you. 
Bitcoin is the antithesis of central bank digital currencies or CBDCs. It is decentralized digital cash that puts you in full control of your money. With Bitcoin, you don't have to worry about government interference or banks censoring you in any way. As a freedom advocate, you know the importance of individual liberty and responsibility. Bitcoin is the ultimate expression of those values, enabling you to take control of your financial destiny and make transactions that align with your beliefs. So, whether you're an experienced Bitcoiner or just getting started, Bull Bitcoin is the perfect place to buy and sell Bitcoin. Don't wait any longer to take control of your money. Sign up today at mission.bullbitcoin.com slash LCC and don't hesitate to contact their human emphasis on human support for any assistance from the get-go. That's mission.bullbitcoin.com slash LCC. So as we've been talking this episode about how it is that we fight back and push back against tyranny, against globalism, there are different ways that we do that. And one of the ways that we do that, that I think maybe we've forgotten because of the corruption that we've seen in our legal and judicial systems is through the courts. And we firmly believe that here at Liberty Coalition Canada. That's precisely why we represent Josh Alexander. We represent his mom. That's why we've represented Dr. Curtis Wall. That's why we've taken on Rebecca Abdo, because we believe that these people who are quote unquote, breaking these man-made laws and mandates, so-called, are actually doing what is right and lawful. And so we want to defend them because they're not doing anything evil at all. They're actually not breaking any laws as we understand laws are good. And so in the courts, pursuing that, fighting that, not backing down is a way that we push back against tyranny and globalism. And I, mm -hmm. I couldn't really think of very many better examples of that than my friend and uh, fellow Kingstonian, Kelly Hale, who we are pleased to have with us on the dispatch. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'll start off by saying it was maybe about two years ago when I personally wasn't allowed to go to any restaurants because I couldn't present my papers. Um, so there was no dining options for my family until I found out about Jack Tuesdays, which is Kelly's restaurant. And I heard that Jack was, uh, sorry, that, that Kelly, who's a believer, loves the Lord, a fellow Christian, that he was saying, no, no, no mandates here. No mask mandates, no jab Praise mandates. It's, it's lawless, it's evil, God hates it. And so the people around me were kind of speaking about it disparagingly, like, don't you know he's going to kill a bunch of people? And I'm like, don't you know that he understands how masks work? <laughs> like, he, he gets it. So <laughs> anyway, so I went, I went, I went to Jack's. Um, and this is Kelly, when I first met you, I, I went to Jack's. It, the, it was the first time I'd been to a restaurant in a long time. And I walk in there. And no one's in masks. It's full. People are laughing. It's amazing. I could order food. And it was emotional. I was there with my wife, another couple. It was a very emotional experience. We hadn't been able to go to a restaurant anywhere. And so here we are. And here was this one tiny piece of freedom in Kingston. Right? This, this, the, the only other place in the city other than my own home and my church where people could meet mandate-free doing what God wants them to do and enjoying it and one another other than my home and my church was Jack Tuesdays. And so, um, Kelly, why don't you take, take the story from there? So you decided to honor the Lord and do what is right. And obviously the authorities took no problem with you saying that you reject <laughs> their evil laws and their corrupt, unjust mandates, right? T take the story from there. 
Yeah, well, well, I guess from the beginning, uh, I came to Christ uh, was March of 2021. Uh, my uncle had prayed for me and my family for 15 plus years to find Jesus again. And uh, I was lost for a long time, like many of us are or have been. And uh, when I was uh, reborn again and found Christ, it, it definitely changed my life. So when the mandates were, were coming through, and I was obviously during a time of lockdown that I came to Jesus, and I, I think this has been part of his bigger plan for me. He's, he's handpicked me like he handpicked some people. We all have a resume, and he puts us in the place where he needs us to fulfill his plans and purpose. And he's definitely done that with me the past couple of years, and I'm really honored and humbled by that, Andrew. So when... Through the lockdowns, it was obviously a difficult time on me and my business. Uh, there's lots of other things that I won't get into that before that, but going into the, the, the Vax passports, I was talking with a couple of buddies at, at Jackson one day, and I, I said, I'd had enough. I, I can't do this. It's not right. None of this has been legal and lawful, and, and I'm going to put a sign up saying no to all this. And my one buddy says, you can't do that. You're crazy. And Andrew, 15 minutes later, that sign was up. It was uh, God's calling. He compelled me to do it. I was an obedient uh, soldier. I just did it. And the sign never came down. So I put a target in my back, which I was obviously prepared to do. God put me in that place. I like to say that, you know, we know that God doesn't give us more than we can handle. But I add to that and say he never set you up to fail either. If he's put you in that place, he will fulfill his promise and he will see you through. And he's doing that with me right now. So it's pretty amazing. So when that sign went up, uh, caused a stir. The AGCO came first to educate me on what I should be doing and the sign should come down. I said, no, I know why you're here. So it's because of the sign and I'm not taking that sign down. I'm not going to accept these mandates. Uh, you know as well as I do that a mandate, uh, according to Black's Law's Dictionary, is an offer to contract. I clearly never contracted with them in any way, shape or form. So I wasn't going to give in or cave to their demands. From that, then... Uh, after the liquor license uh, warning, they came and uh, they took my liquor license. They took my business license. Public health came and ordered a 22 order closure of my restaurant. The first court order that they brought, I defied and opened up the next day. And that uh, that was around Remembrance Day. And I had a big Remembrance Day thing planned. And I wasn't going to let that go. I wasn't going to let them shut me down for that. I was honoring our veterans uh, with a free meal. If they came into Jack's, and we got to do that anyways, which was nice. It, it went from there to the second time they forced me into court and they really forced the second court order was to force the police to come back on me because when the sheriff and the police came with the first court order, they actually left. I was expecting them to lock my doors or arrest me for saying no and they left. So I was pretty surprised by that. So in a big way, the police have had our back throughout this. I know a lot of people bashed the police and I know the police came at 530 in the morning and they were forced to come. But the police have had our back. The court system in Kingston had our back a lot through this. My first court date on November 19th for the public health closure, there was a couple of hundred people outside the courthouse supporting me. And there was a few undercover cops there. And they went up to all the people that were supporting me and actually said, we're here in support of you to protect you guys. We've got your back. So that was pretty cool to hear that. Obviously, when I went to court no that November of 2021, the mask mandates were still in force. They were trying to tell me I had to wear a mask. I said, I'm not coming to court with a mask. I walked into the courthouse without a mask. Other people walked in with me, and there was no issues. It was uh, it was pretty it was pretty cool. Like especially with me, they had no issue at all because I I wasn't wearing a mask. It wasn't something I was going to do. And like you said, it was it was against God's God's laws in my mind. These these evil laws that uh, man has put on us they were unjust. Uh, the right to inform consent. 
it's illegal for me to ask for somebody's personal medical information and i knew that so mm -hmm. if, if you and your wife share the same doctor and you go ask that doctor for your wife's personal medical information what's he going to tell you you know no it's not going to happen but i was expected to ask people to come into my restaurant and ask them for their personal medical information and further to that which really boggled my mind was that none of my staff or myself had to be vaccinated to be there and work but yet i had to ask people to have a vax passport to come in so it, it didn't make any sense and i wasn't going to I wasn't going to cave into their, their crazy demands at all. Well, Kelly, I'm so glad that you stood on courage of conviction and conscience before the Lord, no matter the cost. And obviously it's come at a, a very high cost to you. But I just want to, before moving on to, to what this closure meant and everything, let's just back up this train here. I, I Somebody who worked in restaurants for much of my life, uh, managing kitchens and doing that whole game, I know that the restaurant industry, though you do lots of sales throughout the year, the margins are extraordinarily thin in the restaurant industry. So uh, some of these pressures that public health and the government were putting on restaurants, especially smaller non-franchise chains, this could totally cripple a business and destroy a business. And because there's not a lot of margin in the restaurant industry, these uh, the the burden that these mandates placed upon small restaurant business owners like yourself were just exponential um, in comparison to maybe everybody else. So maybe you can talk a little bit about the, just the financial difficulties that something like this put on you as a business owner, because we would understand that you are indeed right, Kelly, that these mandates are unjust because they prevent a man from doing the very thing that God's called him to do, which is to provide for his family, a fulfilling the dominion mandate that God's given to man, and that economics, which is just human action, is a part of men fulfilling their purpose before a God which glorifies him. So by the government stepping in and is stopping you from doing that they are directly putting you in a position where you cannot do which what what god has called you to do and then that comes with all sorts of financial implications so maybe let's talk about some of that can you talk about some of the financial difficulties that these mandates had put on you before you decided to open up and just how you you could no longer put up with them as you've already said yeah, well, that's the big thing is that people don't understand that during that time of the lockdowns for eight out of 18 months, I was closed. And I wasn't like a chain restaurant that had Uber Eats and all these delivery services. I wasn't a takeout place. I was a place where people came to sit down and eat and have, have a drink and enjoy themselves and meet people. So I didn't have that luxury. So during most of the lockdowns, I wasn't even open. I didn't even do takeout because it, it didn't make any sense for me to do it. I just wasn't in a position to do it. So the financial burden was even higher. Obviously, the government gave their handouts, which obviously helped to get me through. And in a big way, I, I see those handouts was part of the Lord's work, too, because I had to stay open through those processes to be able to be in the position I was in to take the stand for him that I did. So it was all scripted by his hand, as I know, and it's been pretty amazing. But I got to a point, which was funny, is every single lockdown we had, I predicted every one within days 
And it wasn't even me predicting it. It was because they tell us what they're going to do in advance. And I just know where to look. And I've always researched stuff. And I knew that. So the only time that I was wrong about when the next lockdown was going to come was right before I got closed down. I predicted that lockdown to be around Thanksgiving and it didn't come till Christmas. But the reality was I was at a point at that time financially with my business from the lockdowns. Another lockdown was going to wipe me out anyways. I was just at a point where I couldn't maintain anymore. I couldn't do it. So I had two choices. I could have put my tail between my legs and shut my doors and went away off into the distance or I could have stood by God's word and stood up to these bullies and said no and that's exactly what I did and I was like I said I was just a faithful servant and and here we are so before we uh before we get to the turnaround before we get to the news that is just very fresh um what did the city the the the, the health unit what what was the shakedown so what is it that they charged you with what did they what did they take what were the consequences kind of what were the what, what, what how did they how did they come against you what what were the results of this again outside of just what the, the news that we want to discuss in a bit okay well the, the passports came in september 22nd i put the sign up september 6th saying no so like i said i didn't contract at any in any way shape or form i said no right from the get-go September 24th, they came by law, city police, AGCO, and they came and, and gave me two, two tickets. One was for not asking for the Vax Pass and one was for not masking. That started everything. So we went from there. Then they came back at different times and added different counts. They'd send the police in undercover. If I wasn't, no one was wearing a mask, they'd add a new count. So they ended up, the city by law ended up giving me 10 counts. Eight of them were related to the Reopening Act of Ontario and the COVID measures. Count nine was for prohibiting and infringing upon bylaw to come and do their job because I had a no trespassing sign on my door without a warrant. So, which they came in anyways, I didn't stop them, they came in. And count 10 was operating with a suspended business license because after they kept escalating, then they came and took my business license. Then public health came and issued the 22 order closure on me. Uh, to just to try and force the issue more, which the first court order I ignored and stayed open. Uh, and then it came down to November 13th at 5.30 in the morning. The full, full uh, squad of police came and removed us from the restaurant, changed my locks, and, and it went from there. So it, it's been quite a battle. And like I said, it's a lot of adversity. I stood up to a lot, but I've stayed strong. My faith in Jesus has, has carried me through this process in such an amazing way. And I'm just, uh, I'm so blessed. I really am. So now there's, there's, there's now a wild wing there, not to disparage wild wing, but I'm never going to eat at that place. <laughs> <laughs> that to me is, that is, that, 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 that's the equivalent of, to me, that that's, a, that's similar to like taking blood money. Like that is mm -hmm. I, nothing against wild wing. They make good wings, but I can't eat there. Be because of the despicable not, nature of them not having even, taken, not, taken not even all, the, all the stuff from you. Not even the corrupt Sanhedrin wanted uh, <laughs> right. the money not that even, Judas gave back, gave back to them because exactly. they, they knew it was so, blood money. And, so and, and, and Andrew, hard. Andrew, before, Sorry, before what we're seeing here, and I just want to frame this for people because we have to put this in biblical terms. This is a real-life case of Nabob's Vineyard. This is a, a, a corrupt government in high places stealing from 
a, a lowly peon, <laughs> you know, from from a free citizen. This is theft. God says, thou shall not steal. Just because the government has an elaborate system by which they steal doesn't make it any less theft. And that's what we have to understand as Christians. This is theft. We need to understand this for what it is and not be deluded into thinking it's anything other than just flatly stealing from somebody. Yeah, yeah so and they, they, they there, was never, there was never any due process of law here, right? Because mm. they, yeah. I was... I was you're supposed to be innocent of proven guilty. I pled not guilty to those two bylaw tickets. And I didn't get my day in court for those tickets till yesterday. So the other thing, when we went to court November 19th for the first public health uh, order, my landlord conspired with public health. See, when I got, when public health took my business, they, they took the keys. So public health was supposed to have the keys to my restaurant. My landlord was never supposed to have the keys. Through the, through the same lawyer that was representing public health, started representing my landlord, they ended up, the landlord ended up the keys and that's how I was forced out eventually. So it was, everything was just corrupt from the top down. It was, it was crazy. So, so they come hard for you, for your business. They take they remove you from the restaurant. They take the restaurant. They fine you some like $20,000 in court fines, just obscene stuff. Mm -hmm. So all this is, so you're, you're, you're fighting, you're litigating, their appeals, their 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 hearings. We're 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 getting regular updates. We're hearing about what's going on. We're praying for you, rallies in support of you. So tell us about the glorious news uh, that that, well, that just dropped. Well, I should should note too that throughout this whole process, I've been self representing. I've never used a lawyer since this started. I've had help from a paralegal who has been amazing. Her name is Jane Scarf. She's a fantastic woman. She's been fighting for. Canadians' rights and freedoms for 40-plus years. Another good friend I'm, that I met through this this stand is Dave Freedom, and he's been instrumental in this march that I've made and, and helping me get the paperwork I need together for the courts. Uh, the two of them, without them, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in today, guys. So it's been, mm -hmm. you know, glory to them. I'm just, I'm just so blessed to have them in my life. And so we finally get our day in court yesterday. So Friday, the city's prosecutor calls me and says, Let's make a deal. And I'm like, okay, what's your deal? She said, we're willing to drop all eight reopening act counts and count nine, which is the obstructing bylaw from coming in because of my sign. We just want you to plead guilty to operating without a business license. And I'm thinking, okay, let's give some thought here. I'm trying to go through what their game is. They're obviously always up to something. If they're willing to make a deal because the reality is if they had a slam dunk case against me and they knew I was wrong, they'd just take me to court and wipe me out. Why are they making a deal? So I thought about it and then the bells went off and I said, I can't plead guilty to that count because it's completely tied to non-compliance to the reopening act charges that I got. So it would, it would wipe out my appeal that I have in place with public health for my order, the 22 order closure. So, I thought that that won't work. I said, if you can't drop all 10 charges, we're going to court. We'll go to trial. So in trial yesterday, we were discussing some things and it didn't take, wasn't long into the trial. And the prosecutor said, well, can Kelly and I go to a breakout room and try and hash something out here? And she was seeing if we could make a deal. And I said, no. And when we went back to, to the court, uh, I thought about it for a second and said, oh, your honor, can I please have another minute with the prosecutor? I, I have something important to ask her. So when we went back to the breakout room, I said, I'm willing to make a deal, but here's my terms. 
I'll plead guilty to count nine, which is obstructing bylaw from coming into my business because of my sign, if you drop the other nine charges. And they agreed to it. So the amazing thing is, so everything now that had to do with the Reopening Act of Ontario and, and the COVID measures is completely gone. And now we have evidence that we can put into the next level of appeal for the public health closure because those two bylaw tickets that I originally received were actually in the 22 order the public health gave me and now those tickets don't exist. So public health's in a, they're in a, they're in big trouble now. They got some thinking to do. So we're gonna keep this appeal with them pushing forward. Like I said, we've got the new evidence. Uh, we still have some work to do, but there's still a fight ahead of us, but this has really turned the tables. And, and the fact why I believe this is such a huge win is because of how much attention they put on me with the closure of my restaurant and how many people know about it. So the fact that all these COVID and reopening act of Ontario tickets are gone, it's a huge, huge victory. Praise yeah. God for that. Brother. So public health, Kingston public health punished you for a crime that you have not been found guilty of. That's, that's, mm, that's absolutely. where we're at. They pun they're yeah. saying you, we are punishing you based on your guilt, but I'm not guilty. And now public yeah. health, Oh, I look forward to this, Kelly. This is yes. going to be great. God. <laughs> this God. Is gonna, yeah. This is going to be this is going to be a wonderful time to see how this all shakes down our yes. our corrupt public health and our city um our our, our city council that's also a, a just a woke mess. This is going to be oh. great to see how this all shakes down. As far as as far as justice goes, obviously God's serving up some justice right now and cuz cuz through this whole walk I've I've been doing his work and this is all for his glory. It's for his plans and his purpose. And the one thing I've realized through this whole process is his timing is always perfect. It's never early. It's never late. It's, it's when it's supposed to be. And the irony about that is with my last public health appeal, because I'm self-representing, they have to give me leeway and they can't strike anything out because of a procedural error. So they either have to help me fix it or give me time to fix it. So when we appealed the last uh, public health situation, if everything had been perfect and the paperwork was in fine, that probably would have happened sometime February or March. And they might have already had a decision against me right now saying they weren't going to overturn it. Well, by the grace of God and his timing, we've had extensions and we still haven't got the next appeal yet. We're still working on the paperwork to get that in place. And then... My trial happens yesterday and these charges get dropped. And now we have new evidence to put in to the next level of appeal because we're going to the Ontario Court of Appeals now. So we're at a level where they have to OK the appeal. It's not like lower levels where you just are granted an appeal. They have to say yes or no to the appeal. So we have to have good grounds for that appeal. We wouldn't have had those grounds if everything had been done properly because of the way they've lied and cheated and ignored case law and things we put in on the record. So the fact that. I have those tickets dropped now that were the basis of everything that they've done to me yeah. now puts me in a position to have a stronger appeal moving forward. So that's all God's work and it's all his timing. And I'm just so honored and blessed. It's incredible. Yeah. Praise God, Kelly. So Kelly, really, I guess really quick, would you ever consider uh, the restaurant business entrepreneurship again? Are you, are you thinking, are you, or I guess, it's, it appears to be that at least now there's a favorable moment here and, and, and it looks, I mean, I don't see how this won't go 
in your in your favor when all is said and done because there's no way they can justify what they've done at this point. So when all this shakes down, are you going to are you going to open up Jack Tuesdays 2.0 or have you have you thought about what's next in terms of the business work world for you? Um, or are you going to I don't know start a farm and what's, I, I don't what's I don't something know, in the middle? Yeah. yeah. At this point, I'm not sure because. Honestly, uh, the pandemic was just the beginning. That was the appetizer. So anybody in the know knows that the next couple of years, it's going to get a lot worse. The whole climate agenda has started. The 15-minute cities under the guise of climate change and protection and lock us into our little 15-minute prison cities. So this, this isn't going away. All these forest fires were scripted by them to push us out of the country and into these cities. And so there's a lot more coming. I don't know at this point what my thoughts would be. I, I leave it all in the Lord and I, I pray about it. And if it's his will for me to open another Jack Tuesdays, that's what will happen. But uh, I'm back in the restaurant business now. For the past year, I've been working at a restaurant in Picton. It's a great spot. It's called Bacado. It's a Spanish tapas restaurant. Phenomenal restaurant. Great people. Great team there. It's a really Love cool tapas. spot. And I'm, I'm enjoying it. But uh We'll just see where the chips fall, and and, mm-hmm. and this battle's not over yet, obviously, and and uh, the Lord's still leading the way, and, and He's taking me through it, and we'll just we'll see what happens the next little while, and we'll go from there. Well, well, praise God, brother. Yeah. We are so thankful for your stand. Yeah, thanks oh, for I joining us on that. the dispatch, Kelly. It's been good to have you, and I'm I'm super super thankful for the news. This is a good day. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys, and God bless you. Kelly's story is a great example of how we need to push back against tyranny and globalism here at home, because there are many things that our federal government wants to impose by way of totalitarian control. And I am really thankful for Kelly and for his persistence. I know him personally. I've, I've hung out with him a bunch. We've been together at several events. I've been involved with protests for him down in front of the court in Kingston. Um, he is a dear brother in Christ. And so I'm thankful that he's pushing back here at home on the local level, because we need to. Now, the first thing that we see, right, we looked at the global, kind of the supranational globalism from out there. But what we're going to look at now, and this is why we come right out of that interview with Kelly, is to see how it is here right at home in Canada, we see this globalism, this tyranny as well. So the first thing that we see is something that actually flew right under the radar in 2020, mostly because the nation was caught up in COVID fascism and completely shocked by everything that was happening. And that is Canada signing on to the Agile Nations Charter in November of 2020, which connects this with our first story because it puts Canada in line with the WEF. And the WEF is mentioned as, oh, they're just a partner in this they just have input which is a lie this is their this is their thing so this comes right from the government of canada website regarding the agile nations charter priority areas for cooperation right so this is all the nations that are part of the agile nations priority areas for cooperate cooperation are data and communications transportation medical diagnosis and treatment clean technology legal and professional services, and pro-innovation regulatory approaches. So, I mean, that, that's basically your life. Your information, where you go, your health, the technology, legal issues. I mean, it's unreal. 
Under this work plan, Canada will work with Agile Nations partners to address issues ranging from cybersecurity and digital technologies to the use of regulatory experimentation. These projects involve sharing ideas, testing new solutions, and identifying opportunities for regulators to better support innovative industries in introducing and scaling new technologies. Participating departments and agencies for Canada include, of course, Health Canada, Innovation Science and Economic Development Canada, Standards Council of Canada, Transport Canada, Treasury Board of Canada Secretariat. So these departments, these agencies in Canada will be working with other countries who signed mm -hmm. on to this charter to share personal, private, and to share information to basically mm -hmm. say, how can we be better globalists within our own borders? <laughs> Let's work together just, with these other nations just, under the instruction of the WEF. Just look at what they're talking or what they're considering to swallow up in, in this Agile Nations health science and economic development so that's literally your lives yeah, uh, the standards the standards that are implemented by canada transport so where you're going and uh oh treasury board also your money so this is all, all it's totalitarian this is concerning all of your life this is what they're they've partnered in in with the wef to implement these things um and put them under the regulator regulatory control of this new department it's wild um they can do all this apparently without much democratic and most people don't know anything. most no. people don't know that november 2020 we signed on our prime minister signed on to this exactly. and why would anyone know in november 2020 everyone was freaking out that they were either that they were going to die mm -hmm. or that their lives were being crushed and no one paid attention to this in the same way that bill c4 just kind of whoop Mm -hmm. kind of scooted right under but we are now it's almost Canada's as if that were, were intentional right <laughs> anyways almost yeah while we're on the topic of transport canada how about we discuss bill c47 currently this bill is in its third reading in the senate with a hidden section that looks a lot in uh, a a lot like enshrining arrive can 2.0 into travel requirements this is from the bill under the section amending the customs act and and this is really really interesting here so the bills on the side we'll have it in the link in the description below as well but this is how it reads presentation on arrival in canada so this is uh section 11 subsection 1 subject to this this section every person arriving in canada shall accept in the circumstances and subject to conditions that may be prescribed enter canada only at a customs office designated for the purpose that is open for business and without delay present themselves a to an officer in person or be to an agency by a means of telecommunication that is specified by the minister for use at the customs office. So, oh, so like show, 
showing something on your phone you mean yes yes oh, exactly okay. having yeah. some sort of digital app that you're mm-hmm. you're signing on to that's apparently tracking you and yeah. uh that's getting hacked but Anyways. that's it right you just you just say here's my phone that's all right matt no it's not that simple oh, okay. uh, under information so that's you it's kind of in the middle of the document there the second red box 1.2 it says this the person presenting themselves under subsection one shall a if presenting in person provide any information that may be required by the officer in the performance of the officer's duties under this or any act of parliament b if presenting by a means of telecommunication provide in any information including a photograph taken when they are presenting themselves that may be required by the agency and that is related to the performance of an officer's duty under this or any other act of parliament oh so biometrics exactly oh 1.3 information before arrival a person who intends to present themselves by a means of telecommunication under paragraph 1b shall in the prescribed circumstances provide the prescribed information within the prescribed time before they arrive in canada so there you have it. Um, that is Bill C-47, uh, which seems to, Andrew, be, you know, passing into law some sort of framework infrastructure for the continuance of the horribly, drastically unbelievable failure that was Arrive Can, but in some sort of new fashion, like Arrive Can 2.0. But they give you the option, right? The bill says it can either be in person or by way of telecommunications. It's certainly not the case that as everything moves to an entirely digital world, that they would eliminate that first option and say from now on, everything needs to be by way of telecommunications. <laughs> no, they would never right? do such things. They would never do that where you, ha- where, where, you, where you have to engage in the collecting of your biometrical data. They would never do that. Or they would never say, you know, we require now this information. Like, so what could be some of the information required? Oh, oh, geez, I don't know. Um, maybe your vaccination status. I mean, that could be something that they, that's pretty, it's pretty vague, mm-hmm. but they would never, they would never do that, right? They would never do that. No, let's, uh, let's keep it rolling, shall we? How about 15 minute cities? or as they're being called, so as to avoid the really, really bad PR, smart cities, right? No one wants to live in a dumb city, although I kind of would like to live in a dumb city where it's not connected to everything else digitally, but smart cities, that sounds good, smart cities. So this is from the Government of Canada website. The Smart Cities Challenge is a pan-Canadian competition open to all municipalities, local or regional governments, and Indigenous communities, First Nations, Métis, and Inuit. The challenge empowers communities to adopt a smart cities approach to improve the lives of their residents through innovation, data, and connected technology. That's what they say. Now, apparently, there are prizes. If your city engages in one of these smart city challenges, there are prizes. And what are the prizes for completing the 1984 challenge, you might be asking? Again, this is right from the Government of Canada website. One prize of up to $50 million open to all communities, regardless of population. Two prizes of up to $10 million open to all communities with populations under 500,000 people. And one prize of up to $5 million open to all communities with populations under 30,000 people. Dude, the carrot 
and the stick. This is unbelievable. They're literally bribing municipalities to develop frameworks that they can institute these 15-minute globalist enviro-communofascistic communities. So then they're just bribing them with taxpayer money to, to develop these frameworks. It's so wild. But there's only four prizes, right? One fifty million, uh, two ten million, and one five. So here's the thing: we're going to see hundreds, hundreds of municipalities across the country, mm-hmm. but they're only giving out four prizes. But so for them, dishing out fifty, sixty, seventy-five million dollars of our money, yeah, is no big easy. deal for them, yeah. <laughs> especially when they're going to get more than four cities that are primed for yeah. the fifth. They're going to get hundreds of cities, and it's just. Flip a switch, ready to go. Mm -hmm. So you can go to the website. We have a link as well. You can search to see if your city is getting ready to become a 15-minute city on their interactive map. By the way, Kingston's on the list, of course, because Kingston is... Winnipeg 2. (laughs) Yeah, Winnipeg 2, Kingston, many cities. So here's a picture of what the situation looks like across Canada. That was taken as of this morning. You can zoom in, obviously, where you see the big numbers. There's more. So you got 21 there in BC, 57 in southern Ontario, 39, kind of the Quebec area. I mean, you start adding those up, and every one of those little markers there, those 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 red-orange markers is another one. You're hundreds across the country just ready to become 15-minute cities. And 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 we I mean, this here's the tie-in. Mm-hmm. What did what was the whole goal behind the WEF? reducing the number of cars more people are going to move into cities they're going to move into urban areas and why wouldn't they like 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 kelly said all these rural areas are being Mm -hmm. set on they're all going up in flames oh climate change and fires and get out of the country move to the city where it's safe where Mm -hmm. they have water and fire departments and whatever so everyone's moving into cities so we got to compact everything well why Mm -hmm. would you want to do that well because it's safer it's better it's more convenient oh and by the way yeah exactly because because everything's going to be all tightly knit together yeah we by the way the first time we really went hard on this 15 minute city was when we mentioned a while ago that oxfordshire county in london was making was getting ready to launch their 15 minute city Mm -hmm. initiative in 2024 so it's not that far away where they were going to have electronic gates between zones you're not allowed to leave without permission so we're going to see how that goes, how, how that tra- test they're, run goes. But the point is, in Canada, they're all everyone's ready for it. Everyone's they're, getting they're ready literally for it. creating dystopian districts that you have to be segmented into, and you'll only yeah. be allowed to leave your specific fifteen yeah. minutes. And it's district. not going to turn out like the movies. <laughs> it's not going to be like District B thirteen. Yeah, dude. Right? It's no, exactly not be doing parkour to fight the globalists. Yeah. No, so that's exactly. the fifteen minute city thing. So go to the website, see if your city's there. It probably yeah. is. So finally, we wanted to look at the digital dollar. Mm-hmm. or the push from the Bank of Canada for the central bank digital currency. So this is from Global News. The Bank of Canada wants to know what Canadians think about the possibility of a digital loonie. Consultations on what Canadians would like to have included in digital currency are open online from May 8th until June 19th. So just close. That's what the Bank of Canada said a while ago. So if you didn't actually go and fill out the survey and say, no, thank you, it's done, but I'm sure they care what Canadians say if it's uh, no, no thank you to digital currency. Global continues. The central bank notes, however, 
that the decision to launch a digital version of the Canadian dollar remains in the hands of Parliament and physical coins and banknotes aren't going anywhere. Compared to private, here, listen to this, compared to private cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, which can sometimes fluctuate in value like a stock, a digital currency backed by the central bank would not be subject to the same level of volatility. It would always retain the same value as the Canadian dollar. SVB. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So here's, by the way, I, I've said this before, and this this is one of the reasons why I talk to people. I say, let's just, I'm not saying throw your entire life savings at Bitcoin, but check it out. And here's mm -hmm. why. As a rule of thumb, if the federal government and the elitists in our country are saying don't do something, 99.9% .9 of the time, do it. <laughs> Maybe 100% of the time. They're saying don't have kids, have kids. They're saying don't go to church, go to church. They're saying don't eat meat, eat meat. They're saying, don't be a man, be a man. Everything that they're saying, don't do. They're saying, send your kids to Caesar school, homeschool. So everything the federal government says, don't do, you should do. So when they are clear, and the prime minister has been clear about this as well, yeah. you don't want to get into cryptocurrencies. Avoid Bitcoin. If they're telling me not to do it, that's probably a good sign that I should at the very least be investigating it to mm -hmm. see if it is something that I should be doing. Now, what do we what do we find from the Bank of Canada survey website? Here is their way to, to soften the CBDC. Simply put, a digital Canadian dollar would be a digital form of the cash in your wallet. Yeah, just so simple. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's attached to the phone. You know, the same phone that you have to show when you come into the country, according to the amending of the Customs Act. Oh, so my 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 health passport travel information and my money all in one spot i'm sure that's totally safe so they continue like cash it could buy the things you need but the advantage is that you could also use it for online purchases and to transfer money between family and friends and businesses businesses could use it to pay each other this new form of money would be issued by the bank of canada and provide benefits similar to cash it would be safe that's false mm -hmm. accessible to everyone unless you donate to the trucker convoy and private that's also a lie yeah. however a digital canadian dollar would not replace cash we will continue to supply banknotes as long as canadians want to use them now listen to this last yeah, sentence that's... and i'm telling you this last sentence uh, this is what they're really saying we don't see a need for a digital dollar right now right now but doing a but lot of heavy Canada, lifting. Yeah. But Canada may need one in the future, so we need to get ready. Here's how you should read that sentence. Canada is going to do it mm -hmm. in the very near future, yeah. so you need to get ready. Yes. That that's the tip. They're saying we just need to get things in place, right? It would be the same it would be the same as a parent, right, who's planning mm -hmm. a massive surprise party for their kid. And their kids are like, oh, I, daddy, I noticed all these bags. Like, you bring in ba grocery bags. And is that, like, are you throwing a surprise party for me? And they're like, no, 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 no. We're not. We're just, we're getting, we're getting ready. There was a sale. We're just trying to get everything set up. And you're, you're, you're not, you don't want your kid to know that tomorrow morning they're going to wake up and there's going to be balloons and streamers and decorations all over the house. You don't want to let them know that. You don't want to tip your hands. You're like, no, 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 we're just, there was a sale. I bought it on clearance. We're just stocking up. We have a bunch of birthdays coming up. No, no, no it's not happening. And then sure enough, they wake up the next morning and there it is. And this is what the Bank of Canada is doing with us. They're telling us, no, 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 we're just getting ready, not realizing that it's almost right on top of us. So you need to get ready mm -hmm. for what's happening. You need to get ready. Light 
of the recent bank failures in the U.S., you may be asking yourself, what can I do to protect my assets? If this is you, we would encourage you to give our friends at Rocklink a call. The new Rocklink Kokomo Fund is an offshore investment product that will allow you to protect non-registered assets by holding them in the world's premier offshore market, the Cayman Islands. And in some of the world's highest quality businesses, it is a powerful way to both protect and grow your assets. To find out if this product would be a good fit for you, call the folks at Rocklink at 905-631-5462 or email them at info at rocklink.com. So we wanted to bring on our friend Francis Pouliot, who is mm -hmm. the CEO of Bull Bitcoin, in part because we wanted to talk about one of the ways that we can push back against globalism and against tyranny. We talked with Kelly about how this happens on the legislative front or sorry, in the in the judicial front in the legal world. Mm -hmm. But we wanted to bring on Francis because there's a lot of concern over the digitization of our world and people saying, yeah, but Bitcoin may not be the safest. I mean, it's fully mm -hmm. digital. So mm -hmm. we want to bring on Francis and we want to talk about how it is that Bitcoin is one of the ways that we can push back and fight against globalism and centralization and tyranny. And so it was really, really great to have this discussion with him. Well, friends, I am quite pleased to have with us on the dispatch Francis Pouliot. Francis is the founder and CEO of Bull Bitcoin. I'm wearing the T. You know about Bull Bitcoin if you follow our show. Canada's oldest and most trusted non-custodial Bitcoin exchange and payment processing service. Francis, thanks for joining me on the dispatch today. It's great to have you. Thanks, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be here as always. So, Francis, in our episode today, we're looking at the Bank of Canada's recent survey, kind of a, a soft, how do you guys feel about a digital loony? We're talking about kind of larger globalism initiatives in the world. And, and one of the things that I get often from listeners or from even friends and family, other people in the freedom movement, is I like the idea of Bitcoin. I like that it's decentralized. I like that it's there, there's a high degree of privacy and security. My only concern is this. This is what they'll say. If the globalists and the elites are moving everything digital, digital ID, central bank digital currency, they want to get rid of physical cash. They want to be able to have full control on all your bank accounts. They want to impose a social credit system. If everything's moving digital and Bitcoin's a digital currency, then there's a concern oh, is it really that safe? Is it really that secure? And so the question, we'll just coming right out of the gate, how is it that Bitcoin is the antidote to central bank digital currencies? And how is this really the way people should be moving and should be thinking in light of the push for CBDCs and a fully digital currency kind of world? Yeah, so that that is a very good and legitimate concern because you know, from if if you're an end user, if you're if you're like the 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 customer of a digital currency, you know, from from your perspective, you're just using your phone to make a payment, and it might look like Bitcoin is the same as a, a as any kind of government or fiat uh, digital currency, but under the hood, that's where the difference lies. Bitcoin is the exact opposite of a central bank digital currency. So the idea of a central bank digital currency. It's basically that they're going to bypass the traditional banking system. And instead of you having an account at you know, TD or RBC or Scotiabank or something like that, you're going to be holding your funds directly with the central bank. 
And the central bank is going to be able to process all your, so all of your payments that you're making are going to be going through the central bank system. The central bank will know where your money is going. The central bank will be able to determine if that payment clears or doesn't clear. And the big danger with that is that if the central bank um, is in control, if you have a government entity, the central bank that's in control of your money, then they can censor your payments. So they can decide, for example, looks like you have the wrong political opinion here. We're going to freeze your money and you won't be able to make that payment. Or, you know, you're a merchant or you're a nonprofit who is receiving payments and donations. We don't like the product that you're selling or we don't like your, your Twitter posts. We're going to prevent you from receiving um, payments or donations, as we've seen with the Canadian trucker movement. This is not a hypothetical scenario. This is, a, this is something that has happened in Canada um, over the last year. Um, another sneaky thing about um, uh, CBDCs is that, you know, the government is printing the money. They are creating the money. So if the government wants to, for example, have, you know, negative interest rates, they could apply those negative interest rates directly on your money. They could withhold your tax directly from your, um, from your CBDC account. So a CBDC is a centralized kind of like Excel spreadsheet, if, if you will, that is just tracking the, who, who has, who is in control of, of which balance. You know, they're tracking people's balances and they're reconciling payments between um, one account to another. Bitcoin is completely different on the other hand. So Bitcoin is a decentralized network. So there is not one central entity that controls the ledger of transactions and the statements of accounts and the, and, and the, uh, the account balances of everyone. The way that Bitcoin works is everybody is running his own copy of that ledger and um, in a decentralized way. So nobody controls Bitcoin and everybody controls Bitcoin at the same time. So Bitcoin transactions do not require you permission to send money from one person to another. When you're making a Bitcoin transaction to someone, you are not requesting like a centralized entity the permission to send funds. You are making that payment directly in a peer-to-peer -peer way to someone else. In this respect, it's actually very, very similar to cash. In fact, when Bitcoin was first created, the title of the, uh, of the release of Bitcoin, of the paper that announced Bitcoin, was Bitcoin is a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. So Bitcoin was designed as a payment mechanism to mirror almost exactly um, cash. The rules of Bitcoin, the way that Bitcoin works, also cannot be altered by any group or individual uh, people. So Bitcoin has its kind of constitution, which is enshrined in software which you as the user is running on your computer or on your phone. So that software has a set of rules, which include the fact that you cannot create more of it. You can't print more Bitcoin out of thin air, which includes that you don't need permission to send it to someone, which also includes that payments cannot be reversed and payments cannot be sent. So, so these kind of constitutional rules are enshrined in software and cannot be changed in the future. So we should not be concerned that, okay, Bitcoin maybe started out as being censorship resistant and decentralized, but what if the government takes it over? Well, the government cannot take it over. If they could take it over, you think they wouldn't have already done that in the beginning? Um, think about it like this. So as Bitcoin grows, the network becomes more decentralized because more people are using it and more people are running this kind of software. So imagine Bitcoin being a, like a constellation of people using it in the network. It's growing and growing and growing and growing. So the more it grows, the more the government would have um, an insane amount of difficulty 
um, to take control of it. China tried to take control uh, over the Bitcoin network like five or six years ago. There was a big push by Chinese mining, um, uh, so-called miners. So people that are uh, providing thermodynamic energy to the network, essentially turning electricity into security to secure Bitcoin. So there was a big push by China to take over the Bitcoin network. And there was a collusion between a bunch of Wall Street firms and VC-funded Californian firms and Chinese interests to try to take over Bitcoin and change the rules of Bitcoin to make it less uh, decentralized. And that was a total and utter failure. And they really tried really hard. And that was five and six years ago when the network was um, less mature. So governments are trying to attack Bitcoin and they have not been successful so far. Um, so I am not worried at all that the government is going to take over Bitcoin. What they can do is they could ban Bitcoin. You know, they could make it illegal to own Bitcoin. But again, Bitcoin payments are anonymous. Um, sure, you know, the Bitcoin transactions are, are public. Everybody can see them because it's an open source um, network. But, you, you, you know, if, if, you ha if you were to make Bitcoin illegal, you would have to literally, it's like making the Internet illegal. You know, you can just use a VPN. You, you would have to go into everybody's house, look at everybody's computers, and, you know, Bitcoin wallets can be encrypted. It's just impossible to make Bitcoin illegal um, in, in, in any functional way. Um, so there, there, there really isn't much that the government can do to stop Bitcoin at this point. So I... I I really appreciate the, the the length and the detail of that answer to to really examine all the different aspects of the state and control and 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 the design of Bitcoin and and how so that, that that's that's good. If you could, I guess, maybe focus or expand as it relates to people's concerns of safety in a fully digital yeah. world, and yeah. so I guess I'll flesh it out by saying. You know, we are seeing that the state increasingly so is going to be regulating the Internet. We see this with the passing of Bill C-11, that the CRTC now has power to determine whether content is or is not Canadian enough. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be throttling certain things. We see with the, the passage of Bill C-18 that Facebook and Google are willingly already saying, fine, we're just going to. We're not going to have we're not going to allow people to share news article stuff on our website. So. If you have this increasing control, the state reaching in and manipulating all of these levers, where the state doesn't have control, we would say, you know, people would say, well, in terms of, you know, physical cash assets, stuff in my hand, unless they knocked on my door and take it from me, mm -hmm. it's kind of mine to have. But if everything becomes digital, our health passes, our, our bank accounts and, and physical cash is done away with – then if you have the state that already manipulates and controls so strongly everything in the digital world, how is it that Bitcoin being digital itself won't won't fall within that reach or that there there's there there's safe safe measures distancing it? So again, um, mm -hmm. you know, off the top of my mind, the purchasing of Bitcoin, right? If you purchase Bitcoin through cash, you know, you go to the you go to Canada Post. By cash, that's that's anonymous. But if you purchase it with a bank account, with a credit card, through PayPal or Stripe or any of these other non-physical ways, if all of that digital interaction is monitored and falls under the umbrella of the state, then the moment you go from one to the next, isn't that how they can get you, so to speak? That yeah. now that, oh, we... 
right? They have if there if there's a door in a house and a door out of a house, is long and they're monitoring both the doors from the outside of the house. Then inside the house, you can do whatever you want. Who cares? But the moment you either the moment you exit one of these doors or as you come into the house, then they can grab you and say, "Aha, we got you." And that's where people are thinking the actual use of Bitcoin, right? If I'm going to purchase something, if I'm going to give some to someone else, that's where I exit the house. So, yeah, if I'm in, if I'm in the house, that's safe. But the moment I get, get outside one of the doors, then they got me. And so that is a concern for people. If you could maybe speak to that a little bit um, and help people understand, again, how Bitcoin isn't like the way people are thinking where it's not like, oh, all they got to do is snap their fingers and then they got you. Yeah. So, so there's, there's multiple parts to this question. I'm going to address like a kind of like security safety uh, element first. So, so Bitcoin is a cryptographic system. So interestingly enough, cryptography was initially developed by governments. So I do understand kind of like the skepticism of some people towards cryptography because cryptography was initially developed as a military kind of technology. So in order to um, make sure that if you're sending messages to your troops, you know, uh, or, or to other government officials, then a foreign entity cannot, cannot read those messages. But something very interesting happened in the 1980s and 1990s is all these kind of like math geniuses that were working for governments to develop cryptographic algorithm split off from their government um, employers into a movement called the cypherpunk movement. So if you're interested in kind of like the, the history behind Bitcoin and the ideological motivations of the, the kind of like um, uh, underlying technology behind Bitcoin, look up the cypherpunks or the cypherpunk movement. And these were people that saw the internet becoming a totalitarian dystopia, right? Because they were working for the bad guys and they're like, oh my God, like if the internet continues in the direction that it's going, none of us are going to have privacy. The government is going to be able to spy on everything. So what they did is they developed these open source or publicly access accessible algorithms, which allowed people to encrypt our data. And these algorithms, these technologies, are what secures everything in the internet today, right? So, so we've been able to harness this technology of encryption, initially developed by governments and universities, and now they belong into the hands of the people. So your Bitcoin wallet, your Bitcoin holdings are secure by cryptography. And even quantum computing, a lot of people think quantum computing is going to break cryptography, but it's not that simple. Even quantum computing cannot break the encryption algorithms that are behind Bitcoin. So no matter how hard someone tries to get access to the money in your wallet with, by, by attacking the cryptography, they just will not be able to do it. If they were able to do it, they would have already done it and taken everybody else's money. It's just physically impossible at this point. It, the, the amount of energy required, like physically, like electricity required to do this is bigger than like all the energy that we know about in the universe pretty much at this point. So, so Bitcoin is secured by cryptography. Um, someone that doesn't have access to what we call your private key, which is not exactly like a password, but, you know, kind of. Uh, let's just think of it as a password for now. Unless you have the password, you cannot have access to the Bitcoin. And that password can be inside your head, can be written in a piece of metal and buried in your backyard. A lot of people actually do that. So without that secret key, that secret password, nobody can have access to your money. And that's a huge difference from cash and like gold or something like that. Um, it's kind of like if the government comes into your house or, you know, even a robber or a thief comes into your house, 
and uh, you know starts looking under your mattress, you know, and looking for a stash a stash of uh, of cash and gold. If they find that if they find the cash and gold, they'll just be able to take it. But if they find like your computer or your phone wallet, they're not going to be able to access the bitcoins that are inside unless you give them obviously access to the private keys. Um, so so it's it's very 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 secure. It's more secure than cash, and it's more secure than having gold coins under your mattress from that point of view. Um, you know, think of it also like, um, you know, let's say you're burying a stash of gold somewhere and you have the GPS coordinates in your head. That's kind of like the equivalent of Bitcoin, right? So you've buried the gold somewhere in the forest. Nobody knows where it is unless you tell them the coordinates of where the gold coins are hidden. They will just not be able to find it. This is kind of like how, um, how Bitcoin works. So in terms of privacy and anonymity and tracking, so... The way that Bitcoin is designed, in order to be able to bypass a central bank and bypass a centralized financial system, the way that it was designed is that all transactions are public. So I'm not going to go into too many details as to why that is, but in order for Bitcoin to work, all transactions need to be public. However, your legal identity is not attached to your Bitcoin identity in the Bitcoin system. You know, your Bitcoin identity in the Bitcoin system is what we call the public key. It's just a random string of letters and numbers, you know, like A12, ZX, 6YZ, whatever. Um, so so no, nobody can tell from looking at the Bitcoin tracking system who, which, you know, who, who does the money um, belong to. So, so it is an anonymous or pseudonymous system. Um, you did mention a good point, which is, okay, so if I'm buying Bitcoin on, a, on, a, on an exchange like Bull Bitcoin, um, you know, uh, the bank, does the bank know that I own Bitcoin? Well, I mean, technically they could, you know, if you're sending a, an e-transfer from your bank account to Bull Bitcoin, they're going to presume that, that you bought Bitcoin. They're not going to have that Bitcoin transaction and Bitcoin address. Um, so bull Bitcoin, for example, we don't need to give that to the government unless they have a warrant and they ask, you know, and they come like, okay, this person, um, we want to know, um, we, you know, what's their Bitcoin identity? What's their Bitcoin transactions? Um, the government could do that. Um, they haven't done that. It happened, I think, twice in the history of bull Bitcoin. And it was re regarding to, um, uh, you know, a scam, like a fraud. Someone was defrauding someone else. Um, they don't usually do that. Okay. But let's say that they do. Let's say that the government forces all the Bitcoin exchanges to give up the list of um, uh, who bought Bitcoin and uh, what is their Bitcoin I I identities, uh, Bitcoin addresses and Bitcoin transactions. Well, there are a lot of technologies in Bitcoin that make you regain your privacy after your identity has been tied, your legal identity, your name, your address, and so on and so forth, has been tied to your Bitcoin identity. Um, there's a bunch of technologies. One of them is called CoinJoin. So CoinJoin is a mechanism. It's a tool that you download on your phone or on your uh, laptop, which allows you to um, obfuscate the trail of your Bitcoin transactions. It's actually really, really easy to use. So, for example, at Bull Bitcoin, we tell our users, you know, after you buy Bitcoin, Use CoinJoin. It's, it's something also known as a mixing system, uh, a coin mixing system. Basically, imagine that, you know, uh, we're like 10 people and we have a bunch of gold coins and um, we want to and all of these gold coins have like a serial number on it because, you know, I bought gold at a bank. We're basically going to melt these gold, these gold coins into an ingot and we're going to create 10 new gold coins that don't have the same serial number on it. So this is a technology that's actually really easy to use. Not all Bitcoin transactions are traceable. There, are, there is something in Bitcoin that we call the Lightning Network. It's a, it's a way to make Bitcoin transactions 
which is not trackable like traditional Bitcoin transactions are. And these new technologies that make Bitcoin anonymous uh, payments possible are emerging. You know, every year we're seeing a lot of these new technologies. We have to also so keep in mind, like the people who build Bitcoin software and who build the Bitcoin network are all like privacy fanatics. So they are building in privacy at every step of the new tools um, to make Bitcoin payments um, uh, more uh, more easy. So you are also right that if the government was going to attack Bitcoin, what they would do is they would prevent the exchange of Bitcoin to Canadian dollars and Canadian dollars to Bitcoin because they can't attack the Bitcoin system. Okay, let's just assume that I'm correct, that they can't attack the Bitcoin network. But for Bitcoin, for example, we are a Canadian business that's registered, that has an office in Canada, that's regulated in Canada. So if the government wanted, what they can do is they could shut us down, right? And then they could prevent people from switching from Bitcoin back into fiat. And that is why I believe that the key to all this is something called the circular economy. So the important thing with Bitcoin is not just to buy Bitcoin to get your money out of the bank. It's not just buy Bitcoin to opt out of inflation and secure your wealth for the long term. It's also important to spend Bitcoin and to accept Bitcoin payments. So once people start to transact in Bitcoin on a day-to-day basis without having to convert to the Canadian dollars and back, that's when Bitcoin becomes unstoppable. So the stoppable, censorable part of Bitcoin is the one that relates to conversion to and from a bank account. But if we start to spend and receive Bitcoin, earn your money in Bitcoin, pay your staff in Bitcoin, pay your suppliers in Bitcoin, then, then we don't go into that you know, traditional legacy fiat system where the government has power. So if we want the government not to have power over our transactions, I believe we need to all start thinking about, okay, buying Bitcoin, sure, but also earning Bitcoin and spending Bitcoin. Well, and there's so much good stuff there, Francis. Um, I really hope and I trust that our uh, our time together, our discussion will be helpful for people who have these mm-hmm. questions, helpful for people who are wondering about security, about what they can do. And I mean, both you and I agree, and, and I'm sure a lot in our audience agree as well, is that the importance of establishing parallel economies, the importance of not just buying into the current system as it is, not just relying on daddy government to take care of us, but being responsible yeah. for our money, for our resources, for our families, for building, um, is something we take very seriously. And I'm glad yeah. that you guys take that seriously as well over at Bull Bitcoin, which is why it's our uh, our joy to partner with you. Francis, thanks so much for taking the time to join me on the dispatch to talk about these things. Uh, again, I trust that our listeners will be blessed by this discussion. Yes, thank you, Andrew. And just as a final parting word, um, if you need help to download the app, and if you're afraid of screwing up your backup, just call us, okay? On Bull Bitcoin, we have a, a chat app within the app you can talk to us just don't be afraid to ask just tell us hey like this is my first time using bitcoin i don't know what is a bitcoin wallet i don't know how to use it can someone help me we will call you okay you give us your phone number we'll schedule a phone call we'll show you how to use it and then we'll we're going to do that for free okay so there's no excuse we will walk you through it um grandmothers elderly people uh 12 year olds bitcoin is not that hard but if you feel like you need some assistance, we will give it to you. And then you'll see after doing it, you're, you're going to download the wallet. You're going to make a few transactions. 
and you know maybe you were hesitant to do it in the first place and then you're going to realize oh my god like that's it like that's all i have to do it's that easy um you can do it like believe in yourself you really really can it sounds difficult but after doing it the first time, after setting up the first time, you know, you're good to go. And then it, it, it really is much easier than people think. Awesome. Thanks so much again, Francis. Thanks, Andrew. All right. Talk to you next time. Well, Andrew, that was a great discussion with Francis. Tons of really salient and good information. And I think it just shows you how um, the decentralized na nature of Bitcoin instead of being a tool in the arsenal of this kind of digital uh, regime that uh, all these globalists want to create, it's actually um, directly against the very things that they want to do, which is centralize and control everything down to a T. Mm -hmm. And that's why Bitcoin um, is an appropriate digital alternative to CBDCs um, that we would encourage people to to look into and obviously um, to consider. This episode, I hope, has whet everybody's appetite, Andrew, for doing more deep digging into the, the globalist issue. We keep doing programs over and over again, highlighting the, the new plays, the current things that are happening. And you, dear listeners, ought to... Go to that website, check out the 15-Minute Cities, appeal to your municipalities not to engage in this carrot stick uh, um, you know, type of uh, game that they play all the time that will give them frameworks and how to uh, increase the totalitarian control over everything. Don't do those things. Um, we believe in sphere sovereignty. They believe in totalitarianism. We need to be encouraging the independence and sovereignty of various different inst uh, societal institutions mm -hmm. rather than centralizing everything under the thumb of a st the state. And that is why we wanted to do this program to highlight the fact that we can't we can't continue going on in naivety. We have to push back. So on that note, I just want to offer just a few quick um, ideas or things to consider for you because you might not find yourself embroiled in a legal battle. Um, you might not, your, your entire thing might not be Bitcoin. So you might be asking, okay, how do I push back against globalism? I'm a single person. I have my family. I'm just going to rifle off some things for you to think about, consider, mm -hmm. pray about, discuss. Number one, if you have any investments at all, get them out of the big banks pronto. Any investments, any issues about money, what do I do about my assets, what do I do about my money, you need to contact our friends at Rocklink. These are solid mm -hmm. Christians that hate the globalism takeover mm -hmm. and want to do everything to help you protect what you have and your God-given rights. So with money, you need to talk to them. You also need to consider some Bitcoin. Reach out to the guys at Bull Bitcoin. They will answer the call. They will speak to you in person. These are solid dudes that are about freedom as well. Maybe you need to think about if you don't have a hobby farm, if you don't grow your own food, then you need to think about who are the farmers, local farmers, farmers markets around me where I can start to get my eggs, my vegetables, even my meat that's not in a grocery store where prices are going to get jacked up or who knows more and more what they're putting in the food, the prevalence of mRNA technology put, being put in animals as well. Right. And, and, and the fact that you might not be able to access those so quickly. So think about local food stuff as well. Always you need to connect with a good solid church, a community of faith that will encourage you, that will build you up. Maybe you need to consider for both yourself and maybe your children, 
maybe you can't just put them through the system and churn out some university grads with the $60,000 debt. I was just having a conversation with a guy this morning. Maybe you need to think about trades or opportunities that don't rely heavily on that. Think about the trades. Think about that kind of labor where you're not going to have as much debt, where you're not as dependent upon these things and the system where you can't be canceled as quickly. These are just a few ways that you need to consider how you can push back against the globalist takeover to be more self-sufficient, to band with like-minded people. Because mm-hmm. um, it, and it, it doesn't mean we have to go out and save the world, but start in small ways. Mm-hmm. Start in these small ways, exercise these muscles for the mm-hmm. good of your family and your community. Yeah. And free Free men and women in Christ ought to live free because it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Till next time, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Liberty Dispatch, a united front to restore liberty and justice in Canada. Please subscribe to our podcast and Rumble channel, as well as visit our website at www.libertycoalitioncanada.com.